Galatians 6. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else, for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The word of the Lord. And then if you would go with me to 1 Corinthians 13. We sang the words to this song earlier in number 222. So I'm not going to read the chapter again. But if you look at verse 6, you'll note that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And then verse 7, and these, the first two little lines in this we're going to cover tonight, it always protects always trusts and that's our text for tonight always protects love always trusts <clears throat> so a book that is very important to us in terms of the material that we're covering is the book by Louis Smees which love within limits his book on 1st Corinthians 13 and so a lot of what I'm saying basically um, has been said by Louis Meads in, in some way. So I want to give credit where credit's due. He writes a tremendous book. It's, you find it in the church library as well. It's a small book, but it takes you through each of the sections of 1 Corinthians 13. And it's become kind of our, our textbook or our, our base for what we're talking about. And sometimes when you are dealing with 1 Corinthians 13, you have to kind of put yourself into a, into a mindset of thinking, okay, what kinds of things does 1 Corinthians 13 talk about, and how does this all work? And so then you have to kind of, um, you, you kind of, in sermons, you kind of come to a point where you say, okay, this is what it's about. And then when you stand up front here and you think about what I'm going to say, then I think, well, I could have said this and this and this and a whole lot more. And it's not a problem writing sermons just on these passages. There's so much included in 1 Corinthians 13 and in each of the pieces. So let me deliver that which I put together for tonight. And we trust that, uh, we trust that it will lead to further thought and, uh, as, as there's much more involved in all of this. One of the things that becomes very clear and a good way to perhaps think about all this thing of love is that we are born into a world in which our relationships are increasingly expanding simply because people touch our lives. I was thinking of that this past week when I made a visit to the Hummelins, and their little daughter was baptized this morning. And I thought, here's this tiny, tiny little baby. 
At first, that little baby, the only person she knows is her mother. And then after a short period of time, she discovers that there's a father. So there's a mother and a father. So suddenly her world is doubled. And then soon they discover that there may be a brother or a sister, and then there are grandparents, and then there's uncles and aunts and cousins and all kinds of things, and the world begins to expand and expand and expand. And then there are family friends who drop by, who come into the door. So suddenly the world grows bigger. And then there's neighbors and people on the street. And then there's other children in the nursery. And there's others involved in the various programs that children attend. There's school, sports clubs, whatever. Each involvement on the part of a child brings other people on the scene and into their lives. And as a child grows, they discover that they're part of a much, much broader community. And then there's one place in the nation, as a citizen for that matter. And in our day and age, we talk about the global village of all things. So increasingly, we know what's happening in very faraway places like Bangladesh or Afghanistan or Europe or South America, and somehow they all have an impact on our lives here in Canada. Through modern media, we're in constant touch instantly, instant touch with all sorts of remote places in the world. And so it was just recently that the earthquake in Nepal was brought home to us in, in living color. And we were just heading off to Tijuana on that Saturday morning, and then the phone call came through to the World Missions people that this earthquake had taken place. And so there they are in Southern California on the phone with folks in Kathmandu and right away discovering and knowing exactly what's going on. We live in an ever-expanding world. And so the question always that we're confronted with is how do we function? How do we live in the midst of such a world? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. All right, what are those commandments? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the first and the greatest commandment, said Jesus. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So the Bible would have us know that the governing principle of our lives in that ever-expanding world the governing principle of our lives as Christians is to love. And 1 Corinthians 13 describes in a wonderful, wonderful way what that love looks like. And when we live according to the biblical understanding of love, then we not only bring glory to God, but we'll also make an impact on this world in the name of Jesus. So love is the starting point. And it's kind of the, the basis under which our whole morning series and the whole sermon series that we're doing right now is, is built. This whole thing of love. And remember that the love being discussed in the wonderful chapter of the Bible is the type of love that drives us towards someone else without the least regard for anything in return. The love described in this chapter is an active love, forcing us to do something even if the person we love or are driven to love 
does not respond to us in any way. The love of 1 Corinthians 13 is a self-giving love. It's true, this kind of love that 1 Corinthians talks about is hard to practice because it's so much easier, isn't it, to love the lovable. But it's so much more difficult to love those who do not love back or give anything back. 1 Corinthians 13 describes a risky love, a love with which one becomes vulnerable and lays him or herself on the line. It's the kind of love that may even cost us our life. There is absolutely nothing comfortable about the love described by this particular chapter of the Bible. And we can say this because the love described by this love song is based on God's love for us in Christ Jesus. He is the epitome of love. And there was absolutely nothing comfortable about God's love for us in Christ Jesus. It cost Jesus, cost him dearly a life of suffering, humiliation, and a punishing death. Now, as the writer, as the apostle writes to the church in Corinth, a church that had its challenges when it came to love and unity and so forth, he teaches that contrary to everyone just doing their own thing as the folks in Corinth seem to be doing, the church ought to be living according to the most excellent way, namely the way of love. And he says, if you live that way, if you live that way as a church, life would be very different, and you would be different as a church. And so that's what we're studying and this evening, as we once again turn to 1 Corinthians 13 to continue our look at the characteristics of love, we're going to do so by zeroing in on verse 7 and a couple, as I mentioned, a couple of the characteristics of love found there. And actually, those characteristics are not going to make love's requirements any easier for us to fulfill or any more comfortable. It may even make us more uncomfortable. First characteristic <clears throat> mentioned in verse 7 is that love always protects. Or as the Revised Standard Version puts it, love bears all things. Or as Eugene Peterson writes in the message, love's put, love puts up with everything. The verb is somewhat difficult to translate into English. It can mean a couple of different things, and, and both would fit well into the whole picture of this chapter. So let me lay out the two possibilities of what it could mean, and, and they're not contrary at all, but they kind of fill out the picture. The first thing it could refer to is as Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, verse 8, love covers a multitude of sins. That is to say, love covers over, or as Smead looks, puts it, love keeps us quiet, tempering our tendency to say too much too quickly. Love has a fine sense for when to keep its mouth shut. The New York Times' old motto, all the news that's fit to print, implied thereby that there were certain things that were not fit to print, even if they were factual. And love, as 1 Corinthians 13 talks about it, is in tune 
with that particular position. It sees no need to spread all sorts of false rumors or gossip about. So if someone sins, love will not trumpet that sin for all the world to hear. Love does not plaster it on the front pages of newspapers or on the magazines so often found out at the checkout stands in our stores. It doesn't trumpet it on E.T., Entertainment Tonight, or on any other entertainment programs because love does not see these kind of failures, these kind of sins, as entertainment. Instead, love covers them up for the sake of healing. It keeps things quiet so that people can be healed behind the scenes, blaring the news about what someone has done often only adds insult to injury. And it's interesting because Jesus spoke about that too. In Matthew 18, verse 15, when teaching about discipline and the like, Jesus said, if a brother or a sister wrongs you, keep it between the two of you if possible. Don't make a federal case out of it. Don't broadcast it all over the world but keep it in a small circle beginning with just the two of you and then perhaps, if not resolved, bring in someone else and finally, only as a last resort, bring it to the attention of the church. This is love's legitimate cover-up, love's way of allowing time for reconciliation, time for healing, love's way of protecting reputations and people, relationships, and the like. Now, there is, of course, a limit to this cover-up. Love covers a multitude of sin, but not all. Remember in verse 6, love hates evil. And so there may be situations where evil has to be exposed in order to be abolished, where there are things in secret that work against God's design or against God's people. They must be opposed. Love exposes these evils and misdeeds actually for the same reason that it keeps quiet about them, namely for the protection and the healing or the good of the persons involved. And wisdom, says Smees, wisdom is the power to tell us when to cover or when to expose. And the purpose of both is, of course, to protect and to heal. So that's one way of looking at this particular uh, text, at this particular line. But there's a second way in which this characteristic can be read, and that is love bears all things or love carries all things. So in other words, as Smead puts it, we might say that carrying things is love's full-time job. Love is action, remember? It requires involvement vulnerability, risk, ourselves. So we could say, for example, as we read from, first, from Galatians 6, that love carries people's burdens. So as Smeeds puts it, love drives us to do things for people that they cannot do for themselves. <clears throat> it is really tough to, vary, to carry our burdens alone. And so we support those who grieve, who struggle, who are ill, who are spiritually down, who are mentally down, and so forth. <clears throat> Burden-bearing is part of our Christian commitment and involvement as God's people. 
carry each other's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ, says Galatians 6, verse 5. Now, we've been placed in community, the church community, in the body of Christ, a body that needs every part and a body that's called upon to function not as islands, but as a body. The Corinthians tended to do their own thing, it seemed. They were not much bearing of one another's burdens. But that's not how it's supposed to be in the body of Christ. When one part hurts, the whole body hurts. When one part rejoices, the whole body rejoices, and so forth. And so we're called upon to be honest about these things and to carry one another's burdens. Now, love does not, of course, suggest that we just dump our issues on someone else and take no responsibility for our burdens, nor does love allow us to live totally for ourselves with our own burdens and issues totally privately. We were not created to carry our burdens all alone. And if anyone knows that we cannot carry all our own burdens, it's God. Being love, he was moved to carry them with us, for us. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, says Isaiah. He bore our sins on the cross. He identified with us so much that he became the man of sorrows. And Jesus did this to provide healing from the brokenness brought about by sin. And that's what love, agape love, the love 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, does. Love shares pain and sorrow, tears and sadness in a very real and genuine way. And so it reduces suffering. But even beyond just sharing, love also enacts or acts to enable further healing. True love also tries to remove the causes for pain and for sadness. Jesus died and he fought against evil. He did something concrete. And so we could say love builds hospitals. It drives people to share their wealth and know-how with those who don't have or don't know how. Love drives us to do something about the oppression of the world. It drives us to stand up for the rights of the unborn and so on. Love reaches out in disaster times, and the goal of it all being healing, the goal being to bring in the kingdom of heaven in all spheres of life. As Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, 9, love all, does all these things in a world around us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance and share in the new creation. Love always protects, protects. So much can be said about that little line. But to suffice it to say that love covers up to a point to protect an individual from further damage, to bring about healing, and it carries and shares other, others' burdens so that they're protected from further deepening sorrow and pain. That's what's included in that little line. Of course, Jesus carried out these characteristics of love perfectly, wrapping his arms around us, dying for us, 
making us whole, protecting us for all eternity. The second characteristic in verse 7 is love always trusts. Or as the Revised Standard Version puts it, love believes all things. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, trusts God always. Always trust. Now the writer's not talking about a gullible person here. A gullible person is ready to believe everything. The gossip of the sensational magazines and the newsstands, the sincerity of every sales pitch, the lines fed to us on a regular basis by every commercial and so on. And yet while the writer is not talking about gullibility here, yet love has an element of gullibility to it. That is to say, one who loves is willing to give the other person the benefit of the doubt for a time. He lets everyone prove his or her right to be believed. He trusts people to a point. God, yes, absolutely. But people to a point. Smith says he doesn't believe all things, but he's prepared to believe if he has evidence that the other person is believable. Love views those around us as neighbors, not as enemies, not as competitors, not as people out to get us. There's nothing paranoid about love. It accepts people as they are. You know, our natural tendency when someone approaches us, especially a stranger, it may be to back off because of appearance on the part of the other person or an assumed reputation or whatever. And so if someone comes to your door looking really dirty or poor, then the initial reaction may be, ah, here they are again, looking for money, and they're going to blow it in some terrible way. So our initial reaction may be a negative one, much like our reactions to those who panhandle on a regular basis. But, and if that's our approach, we may end up being very short with them, or we may not even open the door, and they may remain standing there. In such a situation, we have prejudged the person. We haven't believed the person even before we know anything about them or why they are there. But love, the most excellent way, reaches out and zeroes in on that person as a person, as someone made in the image of God. Love does not, first of all, think, ooh, or get worried, or become paranoid, or consider the cost. What happens if I open the door? That's secondary. Of course, love does not believe everything. Maybe the apostle is using some poetic license here. Love does not believe idle gossip. Love does not believe nonsense. Love is ready to believe, to trust what ought to be believed and ought to be trusted And in that process, we give ourselves away without fear of being taken advantage of or made a fool of or being let down. We do not calculate the consequences. And so this means, of course, that love will also drive us to deal with people we may not want to deal with or perhaps even see as part of the kingdom of God. Yet we must deal with them because love 
according to 1 Corinthians 13, gives us the power to look at a person and to see the person behind the accepted reputation. Love's requirements don't get any easier. But again, the second characteristic of verse 7 reflects Jesus' love. And it's a good thing that it does. We must always go back to, to him to see what love is truly about. Jesus never looked strictly at one's supposed reputation, but he looked beyond the reputation to the person of Zacchaeus, to the person of the woman caught in adultery. She was not just a case, but she was a person. To the person of Peter who denied him, to the person of each of the disciples, to the person of Paul, the one who persecuted him and his people. Jesus saw each of these people and many others as people, and he ministered to them as people right where they needed ministry. And so it is that he comes to you and he comes to me. And it's a good thing that he didn't come with preconceived notions or preconceived reputations because then he may not come. But he breaks through the walls we and others have set up between God and us, and he reshapes us. He accepts us as God's image bearers, and he gave his life for us. Jesus, the Lord, does not approach the world with mistrust and suspicion. Rather, he approached in love, and he gave himself. And now, interestingly, we are called to do the same. Love always trusts. It's an incredible chapter, this 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Love is what we are called to. In fact, we sang it about. We sang about it this morning. They'll know we are Christians by our church attendance, by our actions, by our love. We sang about that this morning. Indeed. And when we live in this manner, we're going to bring glory to God's holy name and we're going to make an incredible difference in this world for Jesus. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. A word that at times makes us pretty uncomfortable. We praise you for this incredible chapter of the Bible, for its approach and talk and description of love, love that you have fulfilled perfectly for us in Christ Jesus. Oh Lord, we are not you. We are human beings and we are weak. And yet you teach us how it is that you want us to live. And so we are so grateful that you poured out your Holy Spirit upon the church. And that we may be your image bearers. Holy Spirit, work in us, we pray. And allow us to shine forth the wonder and the glory of the name of Jesus. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would allow us to see people for who they are. That you would allow us to not walk around in this world in paranoia, 
but with an understanding that you made us in your image. And so make us a people, we pray, who love and who honor you. And through that, we pray that you would receive the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.